Welcome to Sermons from St. David's, a ministry of St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield, Michigan. It's a chance for us to share a good word of challenge, inspiration, and hope as we walk the journey of faith together. You're welcome to join us on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. for live in-person worship. You can also join our 10 a.m. Eucharist via Zoom. Just go to our website for the meeting ID and password at stdavidssf.org. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, let your will be done through us. Amen. Amen. Great to see you once again. Once again, thanks for making it through the snow. And those of you on Zoom, for uh, I hope you can put, put on another kettle of hot chocolate uh, as you're with us this morning. It's great to be with you this morning. I want to tell you a story about my friend Alex the Architect. Alex the Architect landed his dream job. It was a prestigious architecture firm. And he was there for about 10 years. And after he was there about 10 years, he began to get the bug and the sense, you know, I might want to hang my own shingle. I might want to go out on my own. Alex had a dream and a vision for how architecture could positively change people's lives. He wanted to build an environmentally friendly, community-enhancing neighborhood. He wanted to build homes. He wanted to build them for the masses. And he wanted to build them that would really make a difference in people's lives. And the work he was doing at his prestigious firm, mostly designing strip malls and rest homes, uh, was no longer speaking to his heart and fulfilling the destiny that he felt he was being called to. In other words, he didn't feel he was being authentic to his soul the more and more he worked there. And so what Alex started doing is networking with other like-minded architects, both in his firm and other firms around town. I'm glad to have the Amen Corner. <laughs> we love it. We love it. Um, and so Alex would talk to these friends, as they say, at his firm and in uh, other firms around town about this life-changing vision that he had about going out on his own and about starting this firm. And he was able to garner interest from his friends. He was also able to line up clients, most of whom said, well, Alex, if you build it, we'll come. And then before that day arrived, he got enough commitments to finally say this is the day. And so he went into work, he sent out those emails, first to his boss, notifying him that he would be leaving. And then to a handful of his architect friends, all of whom put in their notice to their respective and surprised bosses, before they left their com comfortable corporate jobs to head off to this new world with an untested leader, but one who had a vision and what a message that really resonated with who they felt they were called to be. I want to combine that with a story about my friend Jim. Jim is a church planter, and Jim works out in Maryland, and he begins his, uh, his work when the bishop decides to say, we want to start a church over there, go do your work, Jim. And what Jim does is uh, he, he goes and finds a coffee shop or something like that in the community and begins to hang out there and make friends. Over time, he finds out what kinds of uh, religious needs people have that are going unaddressed. Some people have a church, some people are dissatisfied at their churches, others stop going to church, others never been to church. And so Jim talks to them, and he paints a picture of a community, of a movement that can meet these needs and more. He talks about Christianity not as a road boring practice, but as a lively, robust, dynamic relationship with a God who has a purpose and a plan to heal, um, to heal our divisions, to assuage our loneliness, and to bring equity and healing to our broken world. And how by banding together, he would like to form a community that does just that, a dynamic, exciting, 
growing, energetic, enthusiastic community. Then Jim looks around town for a suitable meeting place, usually a school or a community center, and then he plans his first service. Usually church planners say they start at Christmas or Easter when you're more likely to get people to come. And so what he does is he, uh, he, contacts, uh, he contacts those schools and he contacts that, that, uh, uh, that community center. He sets up that time and then he uh, ignites his network of coffee shop friends. Uh, he contacts each one of them, asks them if they'll leave behind their churches, leave behind their Sunday morning habits. And they'll follow him to build something new and substantial and life-changing, a church and movement that can vastly improve themselves and their communities. Most of his friends, when he does this, actually come. Uh, most agree to leave behind the familiar and take a shot at something exciting, different, and new that just might take them closer to the hopes and convictions of their hearts. Now, why do I tell you these two stories? I wonder how much of Alex and Jim's stories correspond to this morning's gospel about the calling of those first disciples. Was it as dramatic as it sounds? That was a dramatic story, wasn't it? It's this total stranger walking by the Sea of Galilee. He seems to have a tractor beam personality that nobody can resist. What do they say about Steve Jobs and his distortion picture that nobody could, get, could, could, could resist? Such that people dropped their nets, left their homes, left their families, left their jobs without a moment's hesitation. Or had Jesus, growing up in the region, and I know many of us last year at this time, we were actually in Jerusalem with a group of us, growing up in that region, and we noticed that the population at Jesus' time was hundreds, not millions. And so perhaps Jesus, growing up there in this small town environment, had a previous relationship with these early disciples, and he sensed something about them, that they wanted more something more fulfilling, more purposeful, more in keeping with the convictions and desires of their hearts, more in keeping with their sense of destiny and purpose. And had Jesus painted a picture of such a movement, movement of a parallel reality that was alluring and that was satisfying, that promised to change them and the world in real and substantive ways. I wonder how that Jesus is present here and inviting us to drop our nets and to move more closely to him. What do I mean by this? Well, did Jesus spend time previous to this story we heard, getting to know Peter and the gang, sharing his vision, growing up with them, and preparing for this movement such that when that day of action came, these fishermen were without hesitation on board? In other words, was there a long period of kind of grooming and teaching them that I'm up to something and I want you to jump in? So you and I come here, we're sitting here 2,000 years later, but we're also in the presence of the risen Christ. We believe that Jesus is present in the community, in the Eucharist, in the word proclaimed. How might we be going through the same thing? We may take note of how Christ has been courting and grooming us to go deeper. What does going deeper mean to you and me? Does it mean giving more, loving more, sacrificing more? As, as a way for you and me to satisfy more fully the yearnings of our hearts. The older I get, the more I see the truth to, uh, to that saying that it's really in giving that you receive. It's really in the tough, tough work of raising kids where you give, 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 sacrifice, 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 but you have this wonderful person who blesses the world and goes out into the world and does magic. It is through the, 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 the financial gifts that, that I've given to help other people that have in, ended up giving me 
uh, the, most, the most sense of, of satisfaction. We may take note of how Jesus has been courting and grooming, and we may note that the call and response of the disciples is a call to you and me, because I think Jesus is here to call us to renewal, to reform, to, to maturity, to courage, and to a deeper, deeper faith in Jesus. You know, I heard a statistic this week that by the year 2050, 30% of American churches are not going to be here anymore. Um, this is kind of the water that we swim in. But you're here, and I'm here, because it's not about church buildings. It's about this movement that Jesus has done in the world and continues to do, of working in our hearts to be the arms and to be the legs and to be the mind and to take the action that Jesus wants done in the world of healing, of reconnecting, of renewing, of reigniting. This story seeks, I think, to awaken us to the reality that Jesus is also standing very near to us. Jesus is calling us to deeper places of vocational authenticity and faithful obedience. I think it asks us to ask ourselves, how are we being called to the next level? What is the next level in our lives? What is that next place of destiny and fulfillment? What are the nets that we're being asked to drop? What are the routines, rituals, and secure places in which we have become accustomed and have become places we now need to leave behind? And it is now up to us to make that kind of cool, calculated decision, perhaps, that the architects made, those pioneering church members made, that the disciples made, of making that turn toward Christ. You know, there's a management guru uh, named Tom Peters. Those of you in business may have read uh, or seen what Tom Peters or his seminars through the years. And he says the only way to remain competitive and to, and, and to remain relevant in today's world is to continuously acquire new skills. It's to continuously embrace change. He thinks that the demise of corporations in our country has much more to do with our inability to build in regular times of substantive renewal than anything else. Many of you know that my favorite icon of Jesus is that of the reformer. Jesus did not come to throw away Judaism. He did not come to start a new religion from scratch. No, Jesus came to reform the laws of Moses and the teachings of the prophets to better conform to the same vision that he had given Abraham and his ancestors, and so on and so on and so on down to us. Jesus came to shake things up. Jesus came to reform and recalibrate and reconnect and revitalize, and we do well to embrace that same work. Existentialist uh, Zorin Kierkegaard, Christian theologian, also famously declared in his age, my job is to bring Christianity to Christendom. We have this sense of reform going on through the ages. A generation or two later, Reinhold Niebuhr famously observed, the great Christian revelations came not by discovering something new, but the great Christian revelations came by rediscovering something that had always been there. I look out at you all and I know some of you can agree with me when I tell my kids, hey, I've forgotten more than you know. <laughs> so much of the preacher's job is just to remind us of what we know, how loved we are, how called we are, how beloved we are. And so this morning's message really, I think, is about helping you and me rediscover who we are, why we're here, what we have, and to retool our lives to live into that. Like I shared that little children's sermon, um, it's about really being ourselves. God loves us and created us to be authentically ourselves. One of the earliest church fathers says, 
the, the, the most devoted, the most, um, uh, the most committed, uh, faithful person is the person who really knows themselves and who is themselves. Have I ever told you the story about Louis the cab driver in New York City? I don't think I ever told you that story. Louis the cab driver in New York City. You're lucky enough to get him flying to LaGuardia and Louis in line with everybody else and you hop in the back seat and the first 30 seconds you don't go anywhere because the first 30 seconds he gives you his spiel and he says this, he says, you know, I know you're in a hurry and I know you got things to do and I will get you to your destination safely and comfortably and as quickly as possible. But before we go, I imagine that you've been pretty busy this morning. So you packed up, got up, got to the airport, took your flight, maybe it was delayed, then you finally got here. So here, I've got the New York Times and USA Today. You probably haven't had time to read the paper. Would you like them? Can I offer you a selection of music? I've got pop music, I've got rock, country, or maybe you just want a silent, what would you like? Or you may be hot, you may be cold. Do you want air conditioning on? Do you want heating on? You just tell me. And also, I'd like to hand you this basket of snacks in case you weren't able to get anything at the airport and you're hungry. Now, how does that compare to any New York City cab driver you've liked in the car? Okay. And then, how much, is anybody surprised at the amount of money Louis brings in and tips each year? Right? But Louis the cab driver didn't start out like this. He started doing out what all the other cabbies do, competing with one another to see who could be more rude to their customers. I wonder how many of us are doing our jobs just because it's the way it's always been done. Because that's how those around us are doing it. And how is God calling us in our call of renewal and authenticity to do things differently? How might we begin by asking, what's our job? And how might it be done better? Louis's reform, in fact, came about after he did just that. In fact, I think this is at play as we look at those disciples today. These were normal people like you and me who decided to step up their game by more seriously looking at their hearts. Hey, if I'm called to be a cab driver, how can I be the best cab driver? Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, if you're a garbage man, be the best garbage man you can be. If you're a priest, be the best priest you can be. And if you own a restaurant, you might want to do like the owner of a cafe in Auckland, New Zealand. The owner of a restaurant called Valerio's. Now, many of you I know have been on vacation and you walk down the busy street and they got those signs that have the menus. You know, you're hungry, you're walking down the street and you're wondering, okay, what is this serve, what is that serve, what is that serve? You go to Valerio's and they don't have um, a menu in their menu box. Instead, they have a poster, a letter, and it says this. Sometimes menus don't reflect what you might find in a restaurant. So I didn't bother with one. In our restaurant, you'll find an atmosphere and you'll find character. Friendly and witty staff, a half-crazy owner, and real food. The kitchen is open is an open view to the customers, and you're welcome to inspect it. The cockroaches left me a long time ago. The only animals remaining are my cats, Jeffrey and Luigi. Otherwise, I am left with a bunch of paranoid human beings to deal with. If you are accustomed to all this, then come in and join us for a pleasant lunch or dinner. So for those brave, curious, or intrigued enough to actually go inside, once you get into Louis, uh, into Valerio's and you sit down, they give you the menu. And once it's at the top of the menu, you think, oh, it's going to be appetizers, right? But it's the rules of the house. And the rules start off like this. May I remind you, we do not do family counseling. <laughs> we still love children, but mostly our own. Nothing is free in this place. We do welcome uncomplicated tourists. If the noise level is too high, adjust your tongue. 
Mama was right, no fancy sauces, no frills or nouvelle cuisine, but sensible, genuine, tasty, hearty food. Then on the way to the restroom, you know, you know the restaurant, the restaurant, there's a lot of restaurants that they will frame uh, like uh, you know, the newspaper a review that was very positive, or maybe a letter from some dignitary who waited to tell you how wonderful it is. When you go to Valerio's, he's chosen to frame and hang something else, letters of complaint. In one letter, a local salesman berated the restaurant for lousy service and bad wine. And what did, what did he do with the letter? He framed it and put it on the wall, but he also put his response when he said, you know what, you took a three and a half hour lunch, you never said it was a problem, why are you writing me now? Beside, we're a red wine place, we don't have a good white wine anyway. The food is great, but why do I tell you the story? Because it's a story of honesty and authenticity, of really being who they are. And so it's, it's no wonder that, um, sure the food's good, but the place is always crowded because they know what they're getting and these people are authentic. So when we talk about renewal in our own lives, I think that renewal has to do with us being authentic as well. Our, us being our own true selves, who we are and what we sense God wants us to do. I wonder as I gaze upon that story that we read from the Gospels about those disciples as they dropped their nets and followed Jesus, that they weren't authentically looking at their hearts and saying, yeah, I'm being called to do this. And I wonder what you're called to do today too. I wonder how God has been grooming you in the last few weeks, the last few months, the last few years, to perhaps make a big change, or perhaps make a little change. But this is how God works, seems to work, folks. Is God is in touch with us, and God is inviting us to that next place. And so the last thing I want to bring up is, uh, is, is what's, what's getting in our way? What's keeping us from taking that next step? what's holding us back from being more open to that new path, and what's in the way for us right now. What's the hurdle, what's the distraction, what's the detour? And I want you all to think back to the summertime when you, you saw the spider webs uh, in the trees or next to your, uh, your shed, your garage, big spider webs. And you think of the spider, and you think he's sitting there and he's made that, and he's made it really sticky so those, fly, those flies get stuck there. And then you wonder, well, why does the spider get stuck? It's because the spider puts the sticky parts on the circles, but he doesn't put it on the radii, the, the, the points that go from the edge to the center. The spider will always take that avenue because it's not sticky. And you and I notice that when we take the direct path, it's not sticky. When we get off into detours, we get stuck. We take the wrong step. And so I think God is inviting us to get past the detours and the distraction focus on where we're supposed to be, which is given to us in our heart. May God give us grace to find out what that is and to follow. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.